Well, hello, family. It's good to see you. My name is Eddie. I'm the lead pastor here. If you're online, thank you for joining us online. I hope that you are well and that you've been welcomed. Before we get into the Word, I had just a couple notes. We are still participating in our Toys for Tots drive, and what that means for us is that we are still accepting donations across all of our GCC campuses. That's GCC Sterling, Chantilly, Korean, and uh, Latino. We are hoping to get two hundred, or sorry, two thousand two hundred and twenty-five. Uh, toys. So if you can participate, it's, it'd be huge. You can bring it to church or you can drop it off at our Ridge Shop location. Uh, we have a, there's a bin right outside our office. Um, you can even order it on Amazon and have it shipped there and we will receive it that way. But uh, thank you to those who have taken part and, and to those who are considering it. I would encourage you to do so. It's going to be a blessing to our community. Secondly, uh, we have our Christmas Eve service coming up uh, this Christmas Eve. We have two of them for you available. You have a 4 o'clock option or a 6 o'clock option, and that means that you can choose whichever one works better for you and your family and your traditions. Uh, they're going to be online, so you could be at home with your family and celebrate together with them. And with, with that, uh, kids, if you're paying attention, if you're listening, uh, we have something for you as well. And if you're not paying attention and listening... Listen, because <laughs> we have something for you. We have put together a Christmas uh, packet, a kit for you, um, with some fun activities and some goodies inside. Uh, that means candy, probably. But uh, you can pick them up this Sunday or next Sunday. Or if you're online and you, you won't be able to come join us in person, you can text Christmas GCC to 474747 and it'll redirect you to a form that you can fill out and we'll get it to you. So again, you can either pick it up this Sunday or next Sunday in person, or you can text Christmas GCC to 474747 to sign up to receive this kit. It's going to be a lot of fun. Well, the last few weeks we've been thinking about the coming of Christ, this, the coming of Jesus Christ, our Emmanuel, God with us. It's called Advent. It comes from the, the Latin word to come. And, and today, we're going to continue. Two weeks ago, we looked at Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, and it was this prophecy that the, the prophet Isaiah gave to his people, a, a promise of a king who would come, who would really be a better king. He would be a prince of peace. And then last week, we looked at a passage in uh, Luke as well, and we considered Gabriel, who spoke to Mary and gave her this, this heralded message, this good news about the one who would come and, and really be her child and who would be God with us. And it's this incredible story of, of God, or, or Gabriel speaking to, to Mary and giving her this message and her response of faith. Today, we're going to consider the, really the humble entrance of our extraordinary king into the world, a humble entrance entrance of our extraordinary king. So if you will stand with me, if you're online, if you can join me in the reading, we're going to be reading Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all in the world should be registered. This was the first registration where Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, 
because he was of the house of David, or sorry, house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in the manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that you, by your spirit, would give us a a sense of the extraordinary reality of this ordinary moment. That we would appreciate the lengths to which you went in sending your son to become human, to take on human flesh and humble himself in order that we might have an exalted life. Jesus, we thank you for what you did in order that we might be reconciled to the Father. Holy Spirit, reveal to us in your scriptures the the amazing paradoxical reality of the incarnation. And Lord, I pray that we would be humbled as we come in memory to this moment, considering the birth of Christ, our Savior and Lord. Pray this in in Jesus' name. Amen. Earlier this year, we had a census, and you, I don't know if you even remember, because earlier this year, a ton of stuff happened. Earlier this month, earlier this week, it seems like every month had a theme and they were all bad. Uh, The census wasn't great. I mean, it wasn't terrible, but... um, it, we had a census, and, and so the U.S. government sent out individuals, they, they put up signage, they probably sent you mail, encouraging you, asking you to give some information about your household in order that they might have better information to better distribute resources and do other things about which I'm very unaware. So, but they, they counted us, and that is very similar to what was happening in this moment. The government... Had, had really sent out a, a, a call for a census to count the number of people. Now, their census was very directly tied to taxation. The Roman government wanted to know how many people were where, and they wanted to be able to tax the various uh, uh, locations. And so it says in verses 1 and 2, In those days a decree went out from Caesar the Augustus, the, the emperor, the king of, of Rome, that all the world should be registered. Now, when it says all the world... Don't get caught up with that and think, oh no, the Bible is not true. It wasn't all the world. Africa wasn't included or, or uh, Asia maybe wasn't included or Australia. When, when Luke is thinking of all the world, he's thinking all of the world that is included within the empire. And in the same way that you would read a letter from a friend and read it on the terms that your friend had written it, not just assuming that they meant something that they didn't mean, we're going to assume that Luke meant what he meant, all the world being all the known world. And so it says that, all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when, when Quirinius was governor of Syria. So Luke is giving us some, some context. He's giving us some direction about this time frame. And, and he's letting us know that, that there's this, this registration that is happening. Uh, this, this is a particularly uninteresting detail, right? The, I don't know that many of us, when we think about memorizing scripture, we're thinking, you know, I'm going to memorize Luke chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. I'm going to re- remember the first five 
verses of this chapter. They, they are rather mundane. Uh, it goes on to talk about how Joseph, verse 4, also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. So this is a, tra- uh, this is a trip north to south. Nazareth is about 70 miles as the crow flies. That means in a straight line, 70 miles away from Bethlehem. But in terms of walking or traveling by foot or donkey, it was about a 90-mile trip. And so Joseph is in preparation uh, planning on this, this journey from Nazareth, from this small town to Bethlehem. And he's planning to take his betrothed wife. She is in her, her last final trimester. If you're a mom, you can later on explain what that means. Uh, but from what I hear, from having been the husband of a wife who's had three children, uh, the last trim- trimester is the one where you are exhausted. You're tired, you're uncomfortable, and if you can imagine, the last few weeks of that trimester are some of the most difficult. And it's in that moment that Joseph says to his wife, or his uh, betrothed, let's go on a trip. And doctors will tell you, don't go on trips. They will tell you, don't go in an airplane, where you just sit down, and then the airplane takes you from point A to point B, and then you stand up and go somewhere. They, they tell you not to drive in cars, but here she is potentially walking, although tradition suggests the donkey, that's not included in here. Even riding a donkey, I don't know if you've ever ridden on a horse, but it's not the same thing as riding an Alexis. It's not, you know, the shocks are not quite as good. And, and so Joseph and Mary are traveling by foot, probably in a caravan, in a group of people, about 90 miles it could take anywhere from four to, to seven to some commentators even say more than a week's worth of time traveling. And in this, these, these five verses, we see compressed a lot of action. I mean, put yourself in their position. Uh, this is a, it's a strange situation for Joseph. His, his wife-to-be, she, they haven't consummated the relationship. Uh, she is pregnant, which that... First of all, is, is a challenge, but he's been met with an angel who told him that this is a legitimate thing, that it's of God, that it's not illegitimate of sin. And, and so he is going by faith with his young wife, traveling in a caravan of which many people are, are aware of this situation. You know, oh, there's Joseph and Mary. Have you heard? Yeah, she's pregnant. But aren't they? Well, that's weird. You know, and, and they're in this caravan traveling to Bethlehem. She's full-term pregnant. She's uncomfortable, tired, and having to travel maybe 13 miles a day, which, I mean, that's more than your 10,000 steps. I mean, if she had a Fitbit, she'd be knocking it out of the park every single day. And with this in mind, and this situation in mind, if you can imagine it, read verse 6 with me. He says this, and while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. No kidding. No kidding. One of the things that doctors will tell you when, when your wife is pregnant, well, they won't tell you, but they'll tell the wife or the spouse or the, the, the mother, uh, you should walk around. That, that, that potentially will begin uh, the process of labor. And so Mary took that advice to the next level. Yeah, I'll walk around for 90 miles. Well, this, baby's gonna, this baby is going to be born. And so in one verse, Luke, being a physician, of course a physician, 
He would just say, yeah, she gave birth. There, he, he just goes and he doesn't give all the details. He doesn't give all the trappings. But he says, uh, while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth. No, it was hard. It was easy. It was, you know, it's just very few details. But imagine this situation. Husband and wife, they're in Bethlehem in a place that she, she maybe is it's unfamiliar to her. I mean, it certainly is at least foreign to their hometown. Maybe she's been there a few times. And, and they're not even in an inn, it says. In verse 7, it says that they were in uh, a place where there was a manger, which means that they were in some sort of stable, perhaps even a cave. It, at, during that time, they, they sometimes would use caves as stables. You know, as bad as any hospital that you have been to, my guess is that you have not gone into the OR, which was in a cave. You haven't gone into delivery in a hole in a large rock. And she gave birth in this situation. She gave birth. Four words to describe what must have been a challenging experience for this new couple. I don't know the dynamics of this. Maybe there was a midwife. Maybe it wasn't. And and it's just Joseph and Mary and it's good luck. Here we go. I mean... It's, it's a very visceral and real and earthy experience. I mean, there are a few things more human, more organic than birth. There are a few things that remind you just how, for lack of a better word, fleshly we are than, than birth. And, and here it's happening. She gives birth to this baby. Luke obviously doesn't mention the trip or, or how she goes into labor, um, and they were, they were possibly alone. But even if they weren't alone, they were, they were uniquely in an isolating situation. This, this story is interesting to me, and sometimes I think we, we, we go by it, and, and we think, you know, she gave birth, and there was a baby, and it was so cute. And we think of a three-month-old baby that we see in every show that shows a baby being born. You know, you see someone who's pregnant in a movie, and she goes into labor, and three seconds later, she's glistening, and she has makeup on, and there's a three-month-old baby, plump and happy, and, and, and that's, that's the story of, of birth. And no, it's not. Newborn babies look like wrinkly little shrimp. They, I mean, they're cute, but they got to, you know, usually it takes a minute for them to put on the weight that gives them that, that Gerber baby look. And, and we see in this moment, it's this really mundane, ordinary, unimpressive moment for what to happen but God to come to earth. And, and I just can't help but reflect on the fact that when you and I think of, of power... We think of like things like superheroes. I mean, when we think of, okay, how can I give the world a picture of power? We think of powerful leaders and, and politicians and, and, again, superheroes, people with supernatural strength and abilities. But when God gives us a picture of, of power, he does it in, in the package of weakness. He packages it in weakness. And, and my question is, why? I mean, God is powerful. He is, he is legitimately powerful. In Genesis, we don't see God packaging his power in weakness. 
We see in Genesis God saying, let there be light, and there's light. I mean, there's, there's nothing more powerful than someone being able to summon reality into existence from his own thoughts or words. That's power. So why doesn't Jesus come with all those trappings of power? Why doesn't he come you know, as a, from heaven, just float down to earth as a mighty man or, or uh, you know, superhuman being who then deals with all the problems in the world? Why doesn't he do that? Well, if we were to look and see, uh, Paul talks about it. He reflects on this in, in Philippians chapter 2. He says this in verses 6 and 7. And he's encouraging the Philippians to think in this way. He says, I'll start from verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. In other words, think about things this way, which you can do so because you're in Christ Jesus. Talking about Christ, who, though he was, not, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. In other words, even though he is God, when he came, he didn't try to hold on to all the trappings of Godness. I mean, he, he remained God. But he, he, he set aside some of the rights and privileges and, and honors that, that he could have availed himself of. And it goes on to say, He made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. The, the mystery of the incarnation is that God took on human flesh. And, and again, we can, we can zoom past that and say, Oh yeah, he became human flesh, then he died on the cross, then he rose again, now he's victorious in heaven. And, and we can miss the fact that, that he actually lived as a baby. That somehow, in his humanity, he had to learn how to walk. He had to learn how to control his bowels. He had to be taught from his parents how to, how to speak. That in his humanity, the God of the universe had to learn how to say mommy and daddy. Now, that is not to say that God himself, God somehow was ignorant or, or unable, but as, as the Bible says and as many creeds tried to, Christian creeds tried to bring together th- these realities, God in Jesus Christ was both God and man. So he had a human nature and a God nature and they weren't, one wasn't taken into the other one or subsumed or disappeared. They weren't, they weren't combined. They weren't mixed up. They were separate and 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 distinct, and yet unified in one person. And so here, as we're, st- we're standing in this room with, with Mary and Joseph and, and baby Jesus in, in this manger, in this feeding trough, we have this strange, bizarre, paradoxical joining of God and man in this little baby. If I were orchestrating the plan to send a, a king, I would not begin the story with an unmarried couple Delivering a baby in a stable in a town during a census. I wouldn't do it this way. And yet, that's exactly what God does. Jesus took the form of a servant and was born as a baby. Your Savior and my Savior took on human nature. And the reason is, you and I, we cannot save ourselves. See, God had the end in mind as he began with this strange beginning. We can't save ourselves. You and I, we are sinners. And what I mean by that, we live in a culture where sin is not really something we think about. You and I live under the, the rule of God. And God has given us commands that, by which we ought to live, 
morality that we have to follow in, ethics that we have to live in, rules of life that we all should live in, that we have all failed to live in. And there is a punishment associated with that failure to obey. You know, when I was a youth pastor, I used to describe it this way. Uh, When you dishonor a person, there is a, a... consequence attached to that dishonoring. If, if one of my youth would come to me during, you know, interrupt one of my sermons and say, you know, you're dumb, I don't believe what you're saying and leave. Well, that'd be unfortunate. I'd have a conversation afterwards and, uh, you know, life would move on. And if he came and did something even worse, you know, maybe tried to punch me and leave, you know, maybe I, the, the punishment would be worse or the response would be worse, the consequence would be worse. I would, I would maybe encourage him uh, to repent to turn around and don't act that way, but if he, if he was recalcitrant, if he was unwilling, I might have to say, well, if, if you are unwilling to not be violent, you can't come here. But that'd be about it. Now, if he were to go to the, the governor, you know, while the governor was giving a speech and try to assault the governor, there'd be a greater response. You know, he might get taken down by a bodyguard. And if he were to go to a presidential speech, and try to assault the president, there'd be a greater response because the office has a greater degree of honor. And the more that the degree of honor is required of the office, the greater the punishment. And you and I, we're in this difficult situation where our sin means that we have dishonored the most infinitely honorable being in all of everything, in and out of existence or creation. God is infinitely honorable, and when you, when you dishonor an infinitely honorable God, you have an infinitely bad consequence. That's the situation that you and I find ourselves in. And so God has a number of options. How does he deal with that? Well, he could deal with sin by just punishing sin. And sometimes we wish he would do that, you know, when the, the person in front of us cuts us off on 28. You almost want like a vengeful Zeus type God. Like, strike him down with lightning. Make his tires explode and teach him a lesson. Or, or when someone hurts you or hurts a family member, you want justice. And yet at the same time, when we make mistakes, when I make a mistake, I'm like, well, you know what, God? Maybe, maybe I could have something besides punishment for my, my condemnation. You see, the reason God didn't come as you know, Superman out of the sky was because he wanted to be a God who could offer us a third option, offer us, offer us mercy. But he couldn't just say, well, I'm just going gonna to let things go. You know, it'd, it'd be nice if God would let things go with me, but I don't want him to let things go when someone hurts my, my son or my daughter. I don't want him to let things go when, when, when he hurts someone I care about. I want justice. And and he would be an unjust God to not punish sin. He would be an unrighteous God to to not punish sin. And so God, thinking through the the plan of of his justice and trying to show also his mercy, he he comes up with this strange plan that you and I would never would have come up with where he decides, you know what, I'm going to take on human flesh and I'm going to become a human. I'm not going to, Jesus didn't stop being God. He didn't stop being a member of the Godhead, but he took on humanity so that someone could take on that punishment. And so in the beginning, right here, where we're, we're talking about Advent and we're looking at this baby, 
there's, there's, there's so much more to hear than just uh, you know, a Christmas story and some cookies and, and presents. What we see is God working out his plan of redemption by doing the only thing that would make it possible for him to offer us real mercy. And this baby, he, he was the one who was going to stand in my place, stand in your place, and take on the infinite punishment due to me because of my infinitely wicked and evil dishonoring of an infinitely good God. He sends his son to be born as a human because a human must bear the punishment due to us. He sends his son to be our savior because our need is greater than any human alone can simply meet. He sends his son to die a death that will bear the punishment for all who trust in God because the cost of our disobedience is death. This humble beginning is, is exactly what we needed because this beginning is our beginning. It's our opportunity for something beyond just condemnation. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in a manger, in humble circumstances, so that death could be overcome through him for us. Family, when we think about Jesus, when we think about little baby Jesus and Mary and, and Joseph, I want to encourage you to think beyond the cartoon. Think beyond the tradition. Tradition's great. I'm thankful for Christmas. I'm thankful for traditions. Santa Claus was a saint. Just let it go. It's okay. St. Nicholas. We can have a good time. We can, we can have fun. But understand that there is something deep and significant in the balance here. And, and at Christmas time, you have an opportunity to invite your family, you, to invite your friends, to invite your neighbors into more than just, let's, you know, do a, a grumpy Santa. Let's, let's, let's exchange gifts. You have an opportunity to, to, to wonder at the fact that God took on human flesh in the, in the form of a baby. And you have the opportunity to wonder before others and say, isn't it crazy that God chose to become a baby? But it, it, it takes an effort for us to get beyond just the, the cultural trappings. It takes, takes thought. It takes meditation. I mean, for me, I was thinking about this all week and just thinking, what is the significance of this story? What is the significance of this moment? So little is happening that, that seems to matter. Mary gives birth, but let, that, that, that takes us to more interesting stuff when Jesus is raising people from the dead and healing people and dying on the cross. But here, it's just them in a dusty stable, and she's giving birth, and it's just super mundane. What's the significance? And the significance is that this mundane moment is our mundane moment. You and I... We may not have been born in a stable, put in a manger, but we were born as babies in, in a very humble manner. And it's because of that that God chose to send his son to be born in a humble manner. He began as a humble son in order that we might become kings and queens in God's kingdom. If you've never trusted in Jesus as, 
as your Lord and Savior, perhaps you've never considered the fact that you need a Savior, that, that our sin is not just offense towards one another. It's not just, hey, you know, you shouldn't lie because it's not nice to other people, but we shouldn't sin because it dishonors an infinitely honorable God. If you've never trusted in Jesus, maybe you've thought, you know, I, I can just improve my life and do a little bit better and, and that'll get me to God. But the problem is the gap is infinite. It's not this little, like, whoop, jump. And, uh, you know, I'm just going to take the lady across the street and I'm going to uh, offer some money to charity and I'm going to just stop cussing. You're still jumping in the gap and falling to an infinite, terrible Punishment. And I don't say that in a, I'm not trying to be flippant or, or silly. I mean, that, that's the reality that we face. And, and we don't talk about it often, but it, it bears thinking about. And it's because of that, that that we celebrate Christmas, that Jesus comes as this little baby. It's not just a fun, heartwarming, warming, heartwarming, heartwarming, I'm struggling, It's not just a fun and cozy story. It's the reality that we needed in order that God could offer us grace and mercy through his son, Jesus Christ. If you've never trusted in Jesus, trust in him because he is the only way to get across that gap. Because he's the only one who was able to because of his obedience to God And he was the only one who could bear God's punishment because he is God. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that you came in such a a mundane way because it means that you are truly human. That you truly have a human nature. That, Jesus, you truly walked in our footsteps and experienced what we experienced. That in the same way that we come into the world as as small, little infants, you came into the world as a small, little infant. And you, you grew up and you experienced what we experienced. And you lived life with one exception, that you did not sin. God, I thank you that that you have offered eternal life to us, that you've not just said, well, I'm going to judge it all, and you've not said, I'm going to be an ungodly or unrighteous God and, and let it all go. But you've found a third way, a way where you can be both righteous and merciful and offer eternal life to us through your son, Jesus Christ, who has done what we cannot, who's lived a perfect life in his humanity, died on the cross in his humanity for our sins in our place offering eternal life to anyone who would put their faith in you as I said before if if you're in this room or if you're online and you've never trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Savior today is a day for you to do that it's an opportunity for you to do that and I would encourage you to trust him to just trust him, not trust your own ability to, to cross over the gap that I talked about, but trust that he has already done so in his life and his death and his resurrection. And to live your life in submission or in following him. If that's you, if that's the life you want to live, if you want to take a left turn from what you're currently doing, let me, 
let me encourage you, just pray this with me. There's nothing magical in this prayer. It's just a recognition of what God is doing in your heart. Just pray, God, I want to turn from my sin. Turn from my rebellion against you, and I recognize that I am a sinner in need of salvation and grace, and I turn to Jesus, who who lived a perfect life that I have failed to live and died on the cross in my place for my sins. And I want to live my life now devoted to him. If you pray that prayer, let us know, because we want to walk this out for you. We want to walk this out with you. Family, Merry Christmas.